We thank God for tonight to come before his holy word. Amen. Welcome to part five of our series on what is Jesus doing right now. Well, before I begin, let's start with a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for tonight as we come before your holy word. We thank you that as we bring this series to a close, may this be written in the tables of our hearts. Because that is the place where conviction, a sense of urgency, and action will stem from. Which means that, Lord, even after the end of this series, may this message live with us. And may, you, may, may, may we know you in a more practical, in a more intimate way by reason of this series. In Jesus' name, amen. So, so far, we've looked at what Jesus is doing right now, which is focusing more on the present day ministry of Christ. It's very important for us to know about that because, like I said, sometimes we are tempted to put Jesus in either a historical category or a future category, leaving that middle space. Many people are aware of what Jesus did in the past, hence the books uh, Matthew to John. You know, he came, he was the son of Mary, he was a prophet, he was the prince of peace, he was a miracle worker, he was a good man. Ultimately, he became our redeemer, died on the cross. That, that was the end goal by, by which through that all of us can confidently say we have come to the saving knowledge of him. But that's not all we need to know about Jesus. There's also another aspect of Jesus. That's the future ministry of Jesus. And that's why the book of Revelation is written. Everything that is written about the book of Revelation, it's the culmination of who Christ truly is. It's the soon coming king. He's the judge. And uh, it's more like the consummation of everything. So that's Jesus in the future. But most times, believers, we struggle with the middle, what is Jesus doing in this present reality? Many Christians might not really have an answer to that. And this series has attempted to explore that, especially in our year of knowing Christ. And from this series, we have looked at two important things. It could be more, but this is what we are learning from now. Uh, Jesus is Lord. The Bible lets us know that he is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesties in the heavens. Very loaded statement. Presently, that's what Jesus is doing. He's Lord. All right? He's Lord that wields and exercises great power among the gods who is like this, our God, who is Jesus. He's glorious in holiness. He's fearful in praise. The Bible lets us know that at the mention of his name, every knee and every tongue shall bow and will confess in heaven, on earth, and under the earth. You see, that scripture even lets me know that there is, there is another realm altogether called the underworld. A tongue in heaven, on earth, and under the earth. A knee in heaven, on earth, and under the earth. All right? They were all come to obeisance 
and they will proclaim Jesus as Lord. So currently, in this current context, Jesus is not operating as the son of Mary. He is Lord. He is Lord. And that is why it's fit for us to say Jesus is God. So he's operating in that, in that current space in our lives. That's why we can pray in his name. Amen. The second thing that we have realized is Jesus is our high priest. And it is because of him being a high priest, that's why there was an earthly high priest, which was the Levitical priesthood, which Aaron was the first of its kind. Okay? that The high priest that existed in the Old Covenant was a shadow, was a copy, and was a pattern of what was done in heaven. And we realized from what we've done. In fact, I, I, I think it took about three weeks just to look at the high priest. We realized that high priest, they had three main functions. They offered gifts and sacrifices. Um, why did I just have a thought block right now? They offered gifts and sacrifices. That's the first one. Number two, they purify the members of the priesthood so that they will be fit for service. So in charge of the of the bronze lava, right? And then they burn incense. And then we've realized that Christ, who is our high priest, is currently doing this in our lives presently. Christ is our intercessor, burning incense. You see? Don't feel sad if nobody is praying for you. Somebody is praying for you. His name is Jesus. He's praying for us. He makes intercession for us on the regular. And what's the, what's the meaning of intercession? Intercession means to stand in between two parties. So the two parties are man and God. And Jesus stands in the middle to reconcile. Do you understand? And in that place, what is he reconciling? Our request before God. So that God will answer. But God answers our request not because of how much we know how to pray. God answers our request because we are doing it in the name of Jesus, who is the middleman. Amen. And that's a priestly job. If you read your Bibles carefully, there's a man called Ezekiel. The Lord charged them. I will require the blood of people of you if you don't stand in the gap. And you know why God was able to tell Ezekiel that? Because Ezekiel was not just a prophet. Ezekiel was also a priest. Okay? Ezekiel was a pastor. So, um, so Ezekiel played two roles. He, was play, he had dual offices. He was a priest and he was a prophet, a major prophet actually. And, and that's why the Lord could tell him that you, I have made you a watchman over Israel. Why a watchman? Because he's a priest, supposed to intercede. That's his job. He's supposed to burn incense. And we who are also called priests, that's our job. So intercession is not just a, a, a department of a ministry. Every believer is called to be an intercessor. I'll be sometimes it might also be necessary to also have an intercessory department so that you have people who are solely dedicated 
to that. But all of us are intercessors one way or another. And even uh, last week, we also learned that it's not only Jesus who intercedes for us, the Holy Spirit also intercedes for us. But Jesus interceding for us is because he's a high priest. It's a high priestly function. A priest bends incense. And and we've talked about his prayer. Okay, so I talk about incense. That whole thing is about prayer. Because incense brought the presence of the Lord down. And prayer also invokes the presence of the Lord in our situation. We realize that he offers gifts and sacrifices. Christ offered himself. His body was the sacrifice. And it's because of this body that we are initiated into a better covenant with better promises called the new covenant. And then Christ also purifies his house. We are a kingdom of priests, all of us. Peter said it, we are a royal priesthood. We are a kingdom of priests. We are a lineage of priests. And for us to be of service to the Lord, Christ has become our bronze lover. Amen. So that's what Jesus is doing. So Christ is our high priest. Amen. So today I just want us to look at the third one uh, this evening and we'll be done. So go with me to the book of First John chapter 1. This first John chapter 1 has always been a very controversial chapter. Let's read it. Chapter 5, ch- chapter 1, I'm sorry. Verses 5 to 9. And I will go first. 1 John. 1 John. 1 John chapter 1. Now, I believe one of the reasons why there is so much confusion about the book of 1 John is because before you read this book, ask yourself, one, who is the audience? Who is this addressed to? Okay? It's very important. Number two, who is the author? Number three, what message was the person trying to communicate across? I think if you are able to get these three key facts, there will not be too much confusion, especially chapter one. As chapter one, I've heard many people draw so many different things and try to split hairs. And uh, I wonder whether that's even important. So to find out who was John addressing chapter, this book, who was John addressing? And this has five chapters. By the time you finish reading the five chapters, you will know who John was addressing. That's one. Two, what was he trying to communicate? What was the message? And three, it's also important to know the author. But if you know the author, you are able to know his mindset, his emphasis, his message, all, all, all that stuff. All right, so um, I, I think when that is sorted out, there will be less confusion because I've seen many people take this scripture and then trying to let it mean what it, it does not really mean. Amen. So, First John chapter 1, 
verse 5 i read this is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you that god is light and in him is no darkness at all if we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness we lie and do not practice the truth but if we walk in the light as he is in the light we have fellowship with one another and the blood of jesus christ his son cleanses us from all sin so now even when you read this who is john talking to do you get me as you've read we've just read verses five seven who is john addressing who is the we in this passage who is he talking to and now look at the words he's using he's using words like fellowship who is he talking to so it's very important to know the addressee of the letter. That will help a lot. Verse 8. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and the word is not in us. Let's go to chapter 2. You see, so when the Bible was written, it wasn't written in chapters. It's just one long letter and you just read it. Okay, so now to make the Bible a bit more easier and concise, I guess, just to read it and understand it and have some symmetry and order. It has been divided into chapters and verses. Amen. So now look at chapter 2. So it's just a continuation of chapter 1. My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. So who are little children here? Sounds want you also have to ask yourself, who are the little children? Who are the we? So you have to find these things out if you really want to understand this book particularly. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins. Not for our sins only, but for the whole world. So now... Who is our sins? Okay, so which person are, which people, which group of people are our? Are you understanding me? Or our sins? And then the whole world. So try and find out who is John addressing in this letter. Find out who John is addressing in this letter. I think the subject matter at hand in this book will perfectly be clear. Do we all get it? Okay, let me ask one question. Who can define the word propitiation? What does it mean? I've explained this in passing before. I don't know if you remember. When we say propitiation, what does it mean? A big Bible word. Nobody. What's the meaning of the word propitiation? 
All right, propitiation just means sacrifice. That's it. Amen. No, no big word. It's just sacrifice. So, Jesus Christ is the sacrifice for our sins. And not for ours only, but also the whole world. All right, let me zero in on this one again, because that's where the meat of our message is. My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Amen. So, what is Jesus presently doing in our lives? He's our advocate. Our advocate. Now, who is an advocate? It's very interesting that when you read um, the book of John, chapter 14, and we will come there, God willing, next year. Um, Jesus talked that I'm going to send you another. Other versions is the word comforter. Other versions is the word helper. Other versions is the word advocate. I think NIV is the word advocate. If I, it's the same Greek word, parakletos. That's what is used for the Holy Spirit. Now, that same parakletos in the Greek is what is used in 1 John chapter 2, verse 1. So, Jesus is our paraclete. He, was, he is our parakletos. He is our advocate. And what's the meaning of the word advocate? One of the meanings is intercessor. So you see that the, the intercessory ministry of Jesus is very strong and it features very prominent in what he does for us. The word advocate also means intercessor. It means defender. Someone who defends you. It means a lawyer or an attorney. It also it, and always an attorney. One who pleads your cause or please a case on your behalf so that you will not be guilty. So when you have an attorney, you know, an attorney is supposed to serve you. An attorney is supposed to plead your cause to the judge so that you don't appear guilty, right? So that's Jesus. So Jesus is currently playing the role of an advocate now. And why is he playing the role of an advocate? He's playing the role of an advocate, especially when we fall into sin. And when we fall into sin, we will not appear guilty before the judge, who is God our Father. And Jesus, as an advocate, his role is to plead our cause on our behalf that we will appear acquitted of our charges. So that's Jesus' job. So it's one of the reasons why we have been imputed upon the gift of righteousness. So that when we sin, we will not feel condemned. We will feel convicted that what we did was wrong and it's not in line with our born-again nature, but we will not feel condemned. 
as a result to run away from the presence of God because Christ is our advocate. And there are many Christians, unfortunately, because they haven't taken time to study or know the present day ministry of Jesus, many Christians get stuck here. And it's like, I am trying to work on this road of perfection. So once I have messed up, that's it for me. The door is closed. The door is not closed. That's why in, in chapter 1, the Bible lets us know that if we have fellowship with him, the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, will continually... You know, the word cleanses here is present continuous. We are taking a, a bath consistently of our sins. That's why you can't walk in self-righteous. There's a, there's a, let me look for this scripture in Ecclesiastes. I think it's Ecclesiastes 9. Give me one sec. I need to find this scripture. Excuse me, give me one sec. I just remembered the scripture. I think it would be good if we read it. Ecclesiastes chapter 7. Great. Ecclesiastes chapter 7. Let me read this one. Because it goes in line with what we are learning tonight. Ecclesiastes chapter 7 verse 16. Do not be overly righteous. <laughs> Don't be over-righteous, nor be overly wise. Do you know why? Because when you do that, you destroy yourself. You see? So, so Solomon, who wrote this, ended it with a question. Why should you destroy yourself? You destroy yourself when you become over-righteous or over-wise. You know, God wants us to be wise. But he doesn't want us to have a conceited opinion of who we are. That's what it means to be overwise. God wants us to experience the gift of righteousness. Excuse me. And when you experience the gift of righteousness, it takes away the problem of self-righteousness. Any believer who you see walking in self-righteousness is over-righteous. And when you are walking in over-righteousness, it is a true testament that you haven't yet experienced the gift of righteousness. And that's why Apostle John says that when we become Christians, even though we have received the gift of righteousness, we are cleansed because we have fellowship with Christ and his blood continually cleanses us. So at the end of the day, we can't walk about saying, we have no sin. You deceive yourself. 
You deceive yourself and the truth is not in you. And then Apostle John now makes a case that because of this, when we sin, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of all our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Okay? So sin is unrighteousness. Sin is unrighteousness. So when we are Christians, we will fall short. When we are Christians, we will err. Let's not be overly righteous to think that we know it all and to think that we have, we have superseded the sin issue. We really haven't. The only reason why it appears we have it together is because the blood of Jesus Christ continually cleanses us from all sin. All right? So, Apostle John wrote this so that we will not have a conceited opinion of ourselves. And sometimes the reason why Apostle John's audience of the day struggled with this was because of Paul's message on the gospel of grace. You know, churches like the Corinth church, they had taken the gospel of grace to the very extreme. Very extreme. To the point that they believe that once we have come into the saving knowledge of grace and we've understood grace, conscience doesn't work against us anymore. See, that's one of the things that the Corinth church believed. That is why they had so much mess upon mess upon mess. You see, because of that, look at, look at the plague of problems among the Corinth church. Chapter 3, sectarianism. Okay, you go on, you will see sexual immorality. You go on, you will see brothers taking each other to court. You continue to read the chapters further on, you will see that they don't even observe the Lord's table very well. And because of the lack of understanding of the revelation of communion, the Bible says know that people were falling sick and people were dying. Strange deaths were happening. You know? And sometimes when things like this happen, you are tempted to say, oh, whatever, whatever. But all these things are problems because they didn't have a centered understanding on grace. And when we come to a place where we understand grace, we will know that it's not of ourselves, it's not of us, it's not to serve our selfish interests, it's all about Jesus. All of us are flawed human beings. We are flawed at the end of the day. And that is why we cannot boast in ourselves and of ourselves that we know it all. Amen. So the Bible lets us know that if we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. All right? So in as much as grace has come, grace came to meet us because we are flawed people. That's why we need grace. And for this reason, Jesus has been sent as our advocate. If you can't understand that you are human in need of a savior, you will never get the revelation of Jesus being our advocate. 
Because when you become overly righteous, you just rely on your works. And you will never give Jesus the place of his advocacy in your Christian work and your Christian experience with God. John, what, the reason why he was pointing to this was not about the sin issue. The reason why John was pointing to this was because of chapter 2. I want you to know all this in light that Jesus is our advocate. He is the only righteous one. And that is why John found it fit to put, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the only righteous one. None of us are righteous, even though we have been imputed upon the gift of righteousness. Our righteousness is credit. Do you have a credit card? If you have a credit card, the 5,000 does not belong to you. It's being credited to you. It's not for you. That's why when you spend even 2,000 of that money, you have to pay the bill at the end of the month. Because it's not yours. It's credit. It's not your money. We have been made righteous, not because we are righteous, that is why Romans chapter 11 says, It is not of him who willeth or runneth, but God that showeth mercy. We have been chosen. We have been gifted upon righteousness. Not because we are, it's credited to our accounts. But thanks be to God that Jesus has paid it on our behalf. Therefore, when we walk, when we move, we do it in him. We are righteous. But the core of us is that we were sinners. And that's why every now and then, in your attempt to live like Christ, in your attempt to be conformed to the image of his dear son, you will miss it. And when you miss it, just be honest with your shortfalls and your shortcomings, and know that Jesus, the righteous, is our advocate on our behalf. He is for us. Jesus is not our prosecuting attorney. Jesus is our defense attorney. He is always going to be speaking on our behalf. That's why when you read the book of Hebrews, it talks to us about the blood of Jesus speaks better things than the blood of Abel. When Abel's blood was poured or shed by his brother King, his blood spoke vengeance. When Jesus' blood was also shed and poured, it spoke forgiveness. Lord, forgive them. So Christ is always going to be speaking on our behalf. Let me say this. For you to understand the present day ministry, read the book of Hebrews. I've been thinking about this for some time. I'm like, how will we be able to understand who Jesus is presently in our lives? I think the book of Hebrews answered that. I didn't even know that I had quoted so much from Hebrews. So my mind was drawn to it not long ago. I think I was just reading the notes or something. I'm like, 
I've come to realize that I picked most of these things from the book of Hebrews. So, suffice it to say, if we really want to understand the present-day ministry of Jesus, the book of Hebrews. If you want to understand the past ministry of Jesus, the Gospels, and then the Pauline epistles. Because Paul, everything that Paul wrote was the benefits of the past ministry of Jesus. If you want to understand the future ministry of Jesus, the book of Revelation. But if you want to understand the present day ministry of Jesus, that will fill the gap between the future and the past, the book of Hebrews. Amen. And that's why the book of Hebrews lets us know that Jesus' blood currently is crying. It still has a voice. Every blood has a voice, by the way. The life of the, the flesh is in the blood. Every, every, every blood has a voice. It's life. It's speaking. And it's still speaking. Forgiveness. Not vengeance against us. Amen. So, the neat thing about us being Christians is that Jesus has taken care of our faults. He knew the future mistakes we will make. That's why he is our advocate. He didn't leave us hanging. It's just like he left us on this tight rope to walk on. And he knew we were going to fall. He's already made way. So, well, that's why he is God who can declare the end from the beginning. You see, when you came to Christ, he already knew your end. And that's why he has made provision. That whenever we fall, whenever we are encumbered or entangled in some form of sin, we have every boldness and ability to cry upon Jesus, who is our advocate. Amen. So, how do we come to a place whereby we will have consciousness of his righteousness? Just walk in the light. Because that's all it is. If we walk in the light, as he is in the light, that's all. We have fellowship. And when we have fellowship, we will continually experience the cleansing flow and the cleansing power of the blood of Christ. That's all. Just walk in the light. And that's how we will deal with sin issue in our lives. But if you don't come to that place, you will come to a place of delusion and deception and you will become over-righteous to the point that even when you sin, you will not acknowledge it. You see, and when you do that, you miss out on the advocacy of Jesus Christ. So Jesus is not just Lord. Jesus is not just our high priest. He's our advocate, our defense attorney that is always speaking on our behalf, pleading our cause before God the righteous judge that we will never pay the penalty of sin and that we will be acquitted of all charges. To me, this is what I call Good news. Amen. Go with me to John chapter 8. In John chapter 8, 
in our study on, on the book of John, we did talk about this incident of a woman who was caught in the very act of adultery. And she was disgraced, humiliated, and thrown in front of Jesus, half-clad, naked woman, in the midst of Jesus' teaching, rudely interrupted him that Jesus deal with her according to the law of Moses. Now, look at verse 10. You see, when Jesus came, he, he was always cracking the seal a bit. And I believe by now you've seen the sequence in the book of John. He was always cracking the seal a bit about his divinity. So let's look at what Jesus did. When Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, Woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, Neither do I condemn you. Go and say no more. You see? So right here, Jesus was letting us see his role that he will play in our lives until the day of his coming. He was going to be our advocate. Let me tell you, when you feel condemned, it's not the Holy Spirit, it's not Jesus, it's not an anointed man of God, it is not a good place. Condemnation comes from the devil. Conviction comes from the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit convicts. The devil condemns. Religion condemns. Religion and the devil have one thing in common. They both condemn. They both condemn. Religion condemns. The devil condemns. But Jesus, the Holy Spirit, a true Christian, an anointed ministry, an anointed man of God, they will never condemn you. They will rather convict you, they will correct you, but they will not condemn you. Jesus says, I don't condemn. I am an advocate. I plead causes on behalf of my clients before the righteous judge. And that's all they are supposed to do. One day I heard the presiding bishop said something very powerful. Forgot even what he was preaching, but just that one sentence. He said, the essence of a New Testament minister is to qualify people by the blood of Jesus and present them to the throne. I'm like, ooh, this is too powerful. That is it. Qualify people by the blood of Jesus and present them to the throne. And I, I was really thinking about it deeply. I'm like, he's very right, you know. That is, the, that is the essence of a New Testament minister, New Testament ministry. Because we have to be after the manner of Christ. We qualify people by the blood of Jesus and present them to the throne of grace. I'm like, who? That was a deep. I'm like, this really blew me away. And that's why sometimes I like to listen to messages over and over again because I can get lost just in one thought of a message. And by the time I finish thinking, 
I'll just say, oh, shall we stand to our feet and pray? Like, oh, I've missed them. I just can end up just thinking. So I always need to listen to messages over and over again just to, to get the message. Because I, I get lost just in one thought or one saying of a man of God. And, and to be like, this was very powerful for me. That was very powerful. And it's so true. What, what was the essence of Jesus? Who is the initiator of the New Testament? qualify people by the blood of Jesus and present them to the throne. And if I also want to become a minister after the like manner of Jesus, you don't condemn people. Yes, you correct people. People are convicted. But it's different from condemnation. Amen. And when you are condemned, what happens? Condemnation brings you shame. Correction and conviction brings forth repentance. So the, the, the fruits is what determines that. Correction and conviction brings repentance. And when I'm talking about repentance, repentance doesn't mean you are crying and, you know, like the song, I surrender, you know, then you are crying. That's not repentance. Repentance means change your mind. I'm talking about feeling sorry. That's feeling sorry. So you can feel sorry, but you will not change your mind. Real repentance is metanoia, changing your mind, 180 degrees. Okay, just making a turnaround, a shift in your mind. That is repentance, not feeling sorry. Sometimes you can feel sorry and the accompanying effect might be repentance, but that is not always the case. Sometimes sorrow can just come unaccompanied. Okay, so you have to come to a place of repentance, changing the mind. And you can change people's mind. And when people's minds are changed, their actions will change. People's minds will become changed when they are corrected or when they are convicted. And that's what the Holy Spirit or true biblical ministry is involved in. Not condemnation. Condemnation brings shame. And when people are ashamed, people will run away from the presence of God. Look at the first man. He said, Lord, I heard your voice and I was naked. felt ashamed. That's it. That's condemnation. And that didn't come from God. That came from the devil when they listened to his voice. So Jesus doesn't condemn. He rather advocates people. So, Before Jesus Christ ascended to the heavens, seated at the right hand of the majesty, he cracked a seal on what he will be presently doing in our lives as believers. Our advocate. Amen. Go with me to Hebrews chapter 4. In fact, this series, I don't know. When I blink, the time goes fast. Why? Three minutes to eight. Hebrews chapter four. Today we are finished. I'm done with, I'm done with what is Jesus doing right now. I can't even believe the time is gone, but it's gone. Seeing then we have a great high priest, Hebrews chapter four, verse 14, who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the son of God, let us hold fast our confession. I feel I have to preach this again. Maybe next year I will do 
what is Jesus doing right now? Remix. I, I feel like whatever I wanted to say, I couldn't say it because of time. But we will we'll see. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Do you know why we have to come boldly to the throne of grace? Because Jesus is our advocate. He will not condemn us. He won't condemn us. Okay? We have to come boldly. When we come boldly to the throne of grace, the Bible lets us know that we will obtain mercy and we will find grace in time of need. So be encouraged in this your Christian journey. Be encouraged to live like Christ. Be encouraged to be conformed to the image of his dear son. But along the way, don't feel disheartened when you make a mistake. Don't feel disheartened when you fall into sin. Don't feel disheartened when you miss it. Do you know why? Because 1 John chapter 2, verse 1 lets us know that Jesus Christ, the righteous, has become our advocate. And he did not just become the sacrifice, the atoning sacrifice for our sins only, but for the sins of the whole world. Amen. So we are done. So Jesus is Lord. Jesus is our high priest. And Jesus is our advocate. All right? So three things we've learned. What is Jesus presently doing right now? I hope you can answer that question. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is our high priest. Jesus is our advocate. I'm down for tonight. I, I, I have to be done whether I like it or not because I'm out of time. Amen. So I'm done. I'm forced to be done. Amen. Any questions or contributions are welcome. There's the last installment of our series. Amen. I'll, I'll take as many questions as you have because we are done with the series. So if you have any questions, the floor is open. Amen. God bless you. What's the main difference between um, Jesus' role as a high priest and as an advocate? For some reason, I, I don't know. I, I was thinking they are the same, but... So what's the main difference between the two? All right. Very good question. Very good question.
Because the main difference between Jesus being our high priest and Jesus being our advocate. Advocate is narrow. High priest is broad. God Jesus is our high priest because he prays for us as intercede. He is also our high priest because he purifies us because he is our bronze lover. He is also our high priest because he has sacrificed on our behalf that we will become the righteousness of God. Advocacy, the advocacy of Jesus just focuses on him just pleading our cause on our behalf that we will not appear guilty before God when we miss it. So Jesus' advocacy comes in when we miss out or when we are at fault. That's when Jesus' advocacy comes in. So, so Jesus being our advocate, that ministry becomes strong in our lives when we miss, when we sin, when we fall short. Then we will feel Jesus' advocacy. But when it comes to the high, the, the Jesus being our high priest, like intercession, we don't have to sin per se for Jesus to intercede for us. He intercedes for us daily. Are you understanding me? Whether we are praying on a good day, we, we, we feel good and we want to pray, believing God for us, he, He's always interceding for us. You know, I, I feel like when it comes to the high priest of, the, of the, the, priest, the priesthood of Jesus, it's all around. It's, it's every day. It's at all times. But when it comes to Jesus being our advocate, when we sin, then he comes in and pleads our cause on our behalf that we don't appear guilty before God. Amen. So, have I answered your question, Lily? Okay. Who has any question? Any contribution? So what have you learned in the past five weeks? I must be honest, I thought I was going to finish this in three weeks. I'm surprised we've done five weeks, but it's all good. So what have you learned? I heard a voice that someone wants to talk. I heard sound somewhere, so someone can talk. Okay. So what have you learned in this series? What what's your take home? I want to know before we wrap up. Oh, what did you learn today? My, my question is twofold. What have you learned today? What have you taken home from this series? So it's twofold.
Well, are you guys thinking? Well, I already told you what um, I I liked from the series um, about the high priest. And today, talking about his advocacy, uh, I, I, I think for me, I just like the details of it. That's all. I like the details of it. I mean, we all know he's a, well, some of us know that he's our advocate already, right? So, uh, but I, I enjoyed the different scriptures that you shared to, uh, uh, you know, put light on that. You know, it's, it's good. It's good when you see it in scripture. Um, yeah, that's it. Amen. All right. One, one more contribution, then we close for tonight. It's seven minutes past eight. I know we are seven minutes past time. We should be done by ten minutes past eight today. So, one one more contribution, then we'll be done. Okay. Um, we have we have learned that Jesus Christ, um, the priesthood, um, the priesthood that we have here on earth, or the priesthood that was established in the Old Testament, was a part of it that was in heaven. Um, we also learned that um, Jesus Christ is, is Lord. He is our high priest. We are his sanctuary. Uh, sanctuary. He is our, our advocate. And then we also learned that he is a king and he is a priest. And we have also become kings and priests. Just like he is. Amen. Jesus is our high priest. Jesus is our advocate. And Jesus is Lord. Among the gods, who is like him? He is glorious in holiness, fearful in praises. He's doing wonders. And with that we can say, Hallelujah. Amen. Father, we thank you for tonight. We bless your holy name for what we've learned. Thank you that even as Christmas comes, we see you as our Lord. We see you as our advocate. We see you as our high priest. We thank you that we will never work with sin consciousness or a guilty conscience because you are our advocate who is pleading our cause on our behalf by reason of your blood always speaking forgiveness on our behalf thank you that you have made us included you've made us feel loved we love you dear lord for what you've done in jesus name amen all right God bless you guys.